What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> you ready to roll? Yep. Let's How's it sound? Uh, I think it sounds pretty good. It looks good on the oh, levels. Do I need to? No, I don't need to. No, that. you're good. What do you say we just get it started, Lee? I think that's great. All right. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and is going to have a great 2024. And it's just the two of us sitting here today, Lee, in this lonely office <laughs> together. It's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a graveyard up here right now. <laughs> it is. The two of us are here, and then right outside the window, we've got our fine maintenance crew trimming some trees. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, I'm going to get a better, a better view now. But at the same time, there might be some, some noise coming through this window here. Well, so. if it's not that, it's the mower or the weed eater. Hey, so. hard working, man. That's, that's one thing that's consistent. It doesn't matter if it's December the 28th. Our maintenance crew's out there getting it done. Mm -hmm. So And it's not that pleasant a day today. It's pretty cold. Yeah. Well, Lee, we're both here. We, we kicked around the idea of doing a podcast to kind of close out the year. Mm -hmm. Kind of looking back at the podcast we've done and maybe a few things we've done personally and mm -hmm. just maybe looking back at the year of fish and wildlife and just kind of um maybe i don't know if it's called like a year interview maybe yes it's kind of kind of what we're looking at here but this mm -hmm. is just kind of going to be us casually looking back on the past year getting ready to roll into 2024 here in a couple of days so as i look back at our podcast list we started with number 109 that was chad miles our very first guest yep and as I look through them here, I see that we, we covered a variety of topics. I'm just gonna run through the list real quick. Mm -hmm. And then if you wanna tell me what a couple of your favorites were, yep. I'd love I've, to hear I've it. written some down. So we had Chad Miles on. <laughs> we talked about uh, current opportunities, uh, why humans manage wildlife. I'm, as I'm reading these, I'm thinking, how, why did I name these this way? Why, <laughs> why humans manage wildlife? It's like anything you write. It's, yeah. Yeah. Sounds great at the time you look back in a month, you're like, why did yeah. I say that? Why humans, and then favorite shoots. So Chad's favorite things that we had done mm -hmm. on the show. After that, we had Jeff Ross on, um, spawning season, fishing reg changes, and the coolest fish, coolest fish. Once again, very vague, very mm -hmm. strange title on my part, but I think the main reason we had Jeff on was to talk about those, those reg changes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we usually do have him on about that time. After that, we had on, uh, <clears throat> Stephanie Brandt and Matt Thomas, right? Mm -hmm. We sure did. Talk about Lake Sturgeon, um, the, the Boatfish KY. But that was right after we'd gone down and actually caught a Lake Sturgeon mm -hmm. for the TV show mm -hmm. with Stephanie and Matt and got to work it up and see their process. So that was cool. So then we had them on. And these these episodes all go pretty long. Like that one was an hour and 13 minutes, 104 on the one before. Mm -hmm. One with Chad was an hour and a half. So right. a lot of conversation here. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, Elizabeth Johnson for Wild Turkey Research, and then we also talked that episode. I'm surprised. I that think she'd one. like to be back on. Well, that one I ran she... into her a while back. She goes, "Podcast was fun." Well, so, Elizabeth's great, yeah. so I'd love to. I have think Elizabeth we'll have to have her on. back on again this year. But that one in the title, apparently, Lee caught his saw guy was also in the title of that one. <laughs> yeah, I caught finally, finally. the elusive <laughs> saw guy. Yeah, so. I mean, I had Obie's daughter, who's under ten. Yeah. Catch a big fat saw guy. I couldn't catch crap. But I learned a lesson from that, if you may recall, is that I was using hooks that were, I thought, well, I get hung up all the time. It's it's in a, the headwaters of, of, of Taylorsville Lake, so it's pretty shallow. Yeah. And I was using, you know, a little bit ahead that would, if I got hung, I could get rid of it. And if I broke off, I wouldn't cry. But that's a mistake for yeah. saw guy. You need a good, solid head. Because I had a, something really heavy a couple of times on that day, and it came back my hook was bent down. Yeah, they got some solid cheeks on. So yes, they do. And I put on a more expensive head, but it made all the difference. Yeah, well, there is. So that, that one has to be one of your favorites. Here in a minute, we'll get a rundown of which ones you actually like the most. But yeah. that one, just because that was your saw guy. Yeah, I feel, I feel like number, I smacked him that day. Number 112 had to be a good one for you. Then after that, we went on to Rick Hill, one mm -hmm. of each of our favorite persons. <laughs> that was a great one. We talked about the old days, turkey hunts, and wildlife art. And we also got your derby picks in that one. I guess that was right before the Yeah, derby. I didn't have Mage, though, so throw them in the trash. <laughs> Maybe this Man, year. I, kinda, I had Mage underneath, I just didn't have it on top. Maybe we'll get it this year, Lee. Mm -hmm. Then we did Marcus Bowling, <laughs> uh, Drownings in Kentucky, Being Safe on the Water, mm -hmm. Night Fishing. Jay Haralla, Stream Investigations. <coughs> he gave us a fishing destination in each region, mm -hmm. uh, an underutilized one. And if I remember right, I think he actually gave us like two or three. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that was number one. Eagle Creek was one that surprised me. <clears throat> he, he listed off several good places to catch a variety of, of species. That'd be a good one to go back and listen to. For yeah, I might have to do that. Um, then after that, Ben Robinson, who's the d um, director of the Wildlife Division. We talked about public lands and how 
conservation is funded. So I, if I remember right, we kind of went into how public lands are purchased in that one, right? Mm -hmm. And tiering a little bit too about that new tiering oh, yeah, program the, the, where they talk about the levels of management. Yeah, high, medium, and low, low management levels on WMAs being a way to let people know kind of what to expect when they go to a WMA. And low level doesn't mean bad low WMA, level. just means big. Low level. Well, it kind of means like... Uh, Natural, yeah, more nat, like less human, like less tractors. Uh, I mean, it sounds they, like low level be poor, but that doesn't help. That's no, not how it works. It's just more rugged. Thing, yeah. I, that's the way I look at it. Less mowed paths, less tilled and disc fields, less planted fields. It's going to be more just natural. What's there, which mm -hmm. is kind of what you look for in some situations. Mm -hmm. So no doubt, that was a good one um, with Ben. After that, we went to the State Wildlife Action Plan, which I believe was with Zach Couch and Laura, yes, it was. Laura I meant Burford. to, yeah, that was a good one. I enjoyed that one. I always <clears> like <throat> talking to, to Zach and Laura. Then John Brunges, and that was kind of the hip-focused one, where we mm -hmm. talked about the hip survey and how that data is used, and that was a fun one, migratory mm -hmm. bird hunting. I really uh, That was some useful information that came out of that, too. If you're, mm -hmm. you know, I remember thinking that if you're like a, a wildlife or a conservation geek and you kind of like the numbers side of it, seeing how they break that down and how they use those numbers was really... I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's it's uh it's extremely complex how they no, you know, and it's, it's 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 there's some some good thought that went into that process too to think about how they take the numbers and make them useful and are statistically significant. I mean, it was it was like wow, this is a pretty. We talked a little bit about the dove yeah, numbers. Um, pretty yeah. good system. After John, we went on to Joe McDermott, deer and elk program coordinator. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, Whitetail deer hunting management, and we did a little Q&A with him where we took questions from Instagram and Facebook and asked him those. Joe Clemens and Jack Reed, they were the wildtail producers on number 120. Uh, that's when we mm -hmm. kind of talked about the importance of, of whitetail deer in conservation and wildlife management as a whole. And it was kind of fun to talk to other TV producers too. Mm -hmm. You know, getting to, I mean, these guys obviously make documentaries and films, but still some, you know, when, as I watched their film, I was seeing some things and picking up some things. And so being able to talk to the people who made it was kind of fun. No doubt. Um, Roger LaPointe, Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. Rich Storm, the commissioner of the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife. And that was kind of just um, talking to Rich on a personal level, mm -hmm. really. I mean, we asked him a couple of work questions in there as far as... Talked his, about free throws. <laughs> yeah, free throws. We got a good story from, from, from Rich mm -hmm. there. I know, I, and that was, that was fun. I enjoyed talking to Rich. Mm -hmm. Then after that, we circled back right to where we started. Chad Miles was number 123, reloading upcoming hunts, what it's like hunting on TV. Uh, Tommy... You want mm -hmm. to say his last name, Lee? No. <laughs> Apostolopoulos. Mm -hmm. Tommy Apostolopoulos, which is, it's much longer than it sounds. Yeah. Um, Kentucky Deer Hunting Today, Public Lands, and Bears with Tommy, because he's a biologist who'd covered all of that. Mm -hmm. And then our most recent one, we had Gabe Jenkins on, Deputy Commissioner of the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, and unfortunately, that was to talk about CWD. Yeah, that was the, the no fun one for, so, of the year, for sure. So that's the, the quick rundown on what we did on the podcast <clears throat> this year. So, Lee, which one was your favorite? Which one? Well... This is just personal. My favorite was Rick Hill because he's one of my oldest and, and dearest friends. When you say oldest, you mean... Uh, <laughs> Not old as in age old. I <laughs> yeah. mean old as in how long I've known him. Well, I've known Rick for 25 years. Yeah, I love so, Rick too. Yeah. And uh, just the story of Benji messing with, you know, Rick loves his pond. He takes a lot of pride in his, in his pond. And Benji leaving those... Uh, that They did a pop study, didn't they? And they brought out some... Uh, filleted fish and yeah. laid them on the bank. <laughs> some some uh, potato chip bags and other stuff looked like people been up there uh, poaching his fish. And it's so funny because <laughs> Rick, gets, he's so, so sensitive. <laughs> that would so, kill me. So sensitive about his pond. Mm -hmm. Not sensitive, protective. Yeah, well, I mean, he's put a lot of work into it. I can't work. blame him. I would too. And it, I don't, if people have ever seen the photo, there's a, a great, great photo that was used on a fishing guide here in Kentucky or a magazine a while mm -hmm. back and it was a a young, a young boy, he had uh, overalls on, some denim overalls, and he didn't have shoes on. That was the fishing guy. That was Clinton. Yeah. And he was holding this big blue catfish. He was using all of his strength in his body to hold this big fish up, and he was standing on a dock, and that was Rick's pond. Yeah. Um, so basically, they took a bunch of 30- and 40-pound blues, mm -hmm. flayed them for a study, and then put the carcasses in. <laughs> and it was, it's the best joke I've heard of in a long time. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, so I really... I Rick, really, Rick came in, he went to his neighbors like, have you seen anybody go cutting uh, around on my land? You know, or, Rick, you know? Rick only told us part of the story. He he didn't tell us that he spent the next two nights camping in a tree, <laughs> you know, with his with a night vision <laughs> scope on he, he didn't tell us the, the ends he really went to, but... I almost guarantee it. Because, you know, 
I know some of the ends he's gone through with battles with uh, otters. With yes. A, he's, he's, had a, he's had a war with otters. Yeah. So you got to think that he was looking at these folks just the same way he was looking at those otters, Not right? Taking yeah, no his doubt. fish. So. But it was just Benji. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so on a personal level, that was your favorite. So what, what other ones did well, you enjoy? Well, for, for, uh, I really enjoyed the Lake Sturgeon one. Um, I thought we had some really insightful, uh, thought-provoking info. Um, it's just any time that you undergo uh, doing a restoration, I think it's, you know, everybody loves those stories because, you know, they're hopeful. Um, we're, we're restoring something that was there. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Cumberland River had a tremendous population of Lake Sturgeon before. Um, and then the lake, the, the, they disappeared and having them thrive again and people are catching them when they're striper fishing. People are catching them by accident. Yeah. Um, that's to, It was just a good piece. And uh, Matt really, uh, you know, um, really uh, provide a lot of really good information, I thought. So Stephanie as, as well. But Matt, you know, I, I thought he might be kind of, you know, laconic, and um, he was loquacious. So well, you got to define those two words. Well, laconic is laid back. I thought he'd be laid back and kind of quiet because Matt, is when you talk to him, he's yeah. usually pretty uh, low-key and mellow. And uh, he, he really expounded and gave us a lot of great information. He, he was very, very talk loquacious as uh, fancy for talking. Yeah, it's fancy because I went right <laughs> over my head. Like, uh, I, I work at, uh, you know, I probably work at an eighth grade breeding level these days, if I had to guess. I probably moved up from fourth or sixth. I'm probably at eighth or so. And uh, I enjoyed the wild tail one just because we got to talk to some people who do kind of what you and I do. Yeah. And also uh, bring about, you know, saying how he kind of got converted into to being a deer hunter. Uh, you know, he grew up in Bullitt County. Uh, he has Property still in Bullitt County, grew up in the Louisville area, and uh, so that was nice. And, you know, um, it's good to inform the public that, you know, Whitetail Deer funds a lot of important stuff that we do. Pretty much, all, yeah, the, the bulk of it. I mean, it drives the bus. It's pretty yeah, much it does. Pretty much the way it's worded. And people don't, I don't know if people really realize that, how no. everything benefits from Whitetail Deer Hunters. You know, mm -hmm. and even if you're somebody <clears> who likes <throat> to bird watch, you're benefiting from Whitetail Deer Hunters mm -hmm. because it's, the conservation efforts that come from funds generated from whitetail deer hunting and the conservation efforts that go towards whitetail deer that make better habitat for pretty much everything. Everything. And fund everything else. But, you know, and, and that's not to say that everything else doesn't help itself out too or help out in other places. Whitetail deer just, it's like, a, you know, if we're looking at the, the college athletics and mm -hmm. it's football, yeah. you know, it kind of funds everything. for the most part. A lot of other things are maybe you know, probably not able to self-sustain just based on So deer hunters dollars. actually help <clears throat> yeah. make for more songbirds yeah. in an indirect way. Yeah, so that was kind of the, the lesson we learned in that one, as well as kind of the behind the scenes of the of the movie. So that, that was a fun one. As I'm looking through the list and trying to, you know, I, I'm not as detailed as you right now, Lee. I don't have, I have not prepped in, as much, but as I'm looking well, through this. Well, it's Christmas time, so Well, as I'm looking through to. this and I'm going on memory, I really enjoy the ones with Chad. Mm -hmm. And that that's probably more selfish, just because when I'm when Chad's in here, I'm talking to someone that I'm talking to every day, and, and a lot of the times we're recapping things that we've done mm -hmm. together. Yes. So it almost feels like just sitting around and telling stories with your buddy, you know. Mm -hmm. Whereas some other podcasts, I, I kind of feel more like an interviewer, like I'm mm -hmm. I'm needing to to try to figure out what the goal is and how we're going to get to that goal, you know, like how to what what. This person has the info that we need mm -hmm. to accomplish a goal. How do we get that info out of them? So, with, but with Chad, it's a little bit more laid back and a little more relaxed on my end. And that's probably just because I know Chad. Well, the same way I feel with Rick. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> but as I look through the rest of them, let's discount Chad because of that personal connection I have with but him. But they're always really good. Yeah, they know? are. And Chad's interesting. And I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, the biology ones, you know, like the Lake Sturgeon one, the mm -hmm. one with Elizabeth Johnson about turkeys, the one with uh, Joe McDermott, the one with Tommy. I really enjoy the, the science ones mm -hmm. where we talk about... I think our readers, or listeners rather, do too. Yeah, I, I enjoy listening and hearing about the species and hearing about the work that's being done and how we're monitoring them. And then also, I really like hearing what the results of those are. Because a lot of times you, you get some, like the turkey banding project that we talked about with Elizabeth Johnson. Mm -hmm. Like the, to, for them to find out that that Jake had just up and traveled three miles the day before uh, season started, like, why do you do that? You know, mm -hmm. and to, you don't really think about turkeys just up and traveling three miles in a day. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to, to learn that they do, that's kind of interesting. And um, then as I go back like and thinking about it, like Jay Harala, I really enjoyed the fish. Me one. too. Yeah. That was one of my favorites. Uh, 
I just like that he gave a rundown of some overlooked streams for people to go fish. Yeah, I need to either and run back through my notes or go listen to that one again because I remember at the end of that one, that's number 115 with Jay Harala, at the end I had him do like a recap. Mm -hmm. And I think he listed out uh, very quickly, like maybe over the course of three or four minutes, like three or four fishing destinations in each place. And he was giving me spots that like, oh yeah, this place is good for musky. And mm -hmm. it's a stream that nobody goes and fishes. Or this mm -hmm. place is good for big small. So he gave me a rundown by species. And I, I need to go back and find that info as I start playing in 2024. And maybe- Well, I've, to... I've got some written down if you want to highlight a few. Yeah. Um, um, one of the ones he had, uh, Otter Creek Trout, uh, the, the no limb below the lake and the upper no limb, he said has potential. Um, the old pool six of the Green River, you and I both know that one very well. Lower Barren below the dam uh, is much improving now for smallmouth bass, spotted bass, and yes. Uh, well, that's the, the uh, Barren Tailwaters where the state record yeah. hybrid came from. Uh, the Gasper River, one I know very well. Um, beautiful smallmouth stream, and also the west and the middle fork of Drates Creek. And, it, and the one that really freaked me out was Eagle Creek, which is Owen, kind of uh, north central Kentucky. And uh, Drennan Creek, one Drennan. That, that, that you've fished a few times. I like Drennan. Uh, and uh, South Fork Kentucky River, which I totally agree with him. Uh, I have floated that through the Narrows, and it's I think it has the potential to be the best smallmouth stream other than green in, in Kentucky. It's beautiful. Several of those places that he listed as underutilized water bodies worth giving a shot are places that I've been to before. Mm -hmm. And if the other ones that he mentioned line up anything like the ones that I do know, mm -hmm. then they're good spots. Because yeah, no like, I'm thinking Otter Creek and Drennan Creek, and mm -hmm. he mentioned a few in there that <clears throat> when I go to those places, I don't see other people and I catch fish. Yeah, now, no if, you go, if you go to Otter Creek, which is Otter Creek ORA, it's in Meade County, just south of Louisville. It's a great place. I take my dog squirrel hunting there. Mm -hmm. um, there's some tighter rabbit regs, but squirrels are wide open, open, open Great season. trout fishing. Yeah, and you can deer hunt there, but the trout fishing's great. But if you go down there and you go to Garnetsville, which is like mm -hmm. the main pull-off, you're going to think, wow, this is the most packed, crowded mm -hmm. fishing place I've ever seen in my life. But if you walk a quarter mile down the trail, yeah. the hiking trail, if you go park at the Blue Hole, mm -hmm. which is another access location, you'll realize that that one spot's crowded, there's nobody else out there. Yeah. You just got to walk a little. And it's beautiful. And that, it's that's, I find that to be true regardless. Yeah. You know, we were talking about that with Tommy A a little bit. That, you yeah. know, everybody's talking about, oh, there's no deer on public land. Well, there's no deer around the easy to get spots. No. Yes, I mean, there's fewer, but if you walk half a mile, you're going to eliminate 98% of the people. Yeah. And I just experienced that on Christmas Day. I took <clears> my dog uh, squirrel hunting at a WMA. And as there was another truck parked there, as I was walking in and I, I walked up and, you know, did a three mile loop with my dog for squirrels, didn't see anybody. But then as I was coming back down out towards the parking lot, I saw the a ground blind, somebody had popped up and this thing, I could see the truck from the yeah. ground. You know, it was, it was two, mm -hmm. 220 <clears throat> yards across the field <clears throat> to get to their vehicle. They were gone when I, when I came out. So I never saw a person or crossed paths with a person. I don't think I got within a quarter mile of a person, but at the same time, they were they were set up right. They they probably saw me pull in and get mm -hmm. my collar on my dog and yeah. pack him out of the truck. You know, yeah. If, but, if you can do a little more work, then you can turn public land into. And great I saw land. deer. I saw deer when I was up there squirrel hunting. I found a scrape line when I was squirrel hunting on Christmas Day. I mean, it, there wasn't a leaf in a single scrape, and it was like multiple scrapes. You know, one every twenty yards, and maybe go sixty yards. And this is on public land, and this is in late December. You know, there is a buck out there mm -hmm. who's still willing and ready, you know, yeah, and it's there for the take. Telling the world, hey. Yeah, yeah. it's just, and the thing was, you know, <clears> I didn't <throat> start seeing deer sign until I'd probably walked half mile from the truck. Yeah. But I mean, and but that's how it is with public land for me. Everywhere I go, it's like, you know, cause I'll go on that bear hunt and I'll backpack up there and I'll, and I'll <clears throat> get off the beaten trail a bit. And then I see deer, I see mm -hmm. turkeys, I mm -hmm. see, and you see everything that you would see on private land, it's just, you know, a little bit further back. Yeah, just yeah. get away from the, Easy access, and, yeah. and uh, I think people will realize. It. I think there's you know different like categories of hunters, you know, and some hunters are just going to get get to that, and some people, you know, I probably worded that 100 percent wrong. The way I look at it is one great thing about hunting is that it can be what you make it to be, mm -hmm. you know. So it can be your own experience or whatever you want. So if what you want from hunting is, you know. A fairly easy physical, you know, you don't, there's nobody says you should have to physically exert yourself mm -hmm. to be 
hunting. You yeah. know, it, it, it should be whatever makes you happy and whatever you want it to be. And if you want to walk 200 yards and sit in a enclosed uh, elevated blind and listen to the radio while you have your heater running, mm -hmm. you know, that's your prerogative if yeah. you want to be able to do it. But the, the truth is that if you want to be successful on public land, that, you know, you just have to do things a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And usually they require beating feet just a little bit more yeah. or just being a little bit. And closer. on stream fishing, you and I both know, if you yeah. go a quarter mile away from the easy access spots, yeah. you're going to eliminate 95% of the anglers. Yeah. And in streams, you know, <clears throat> I wonder if people think about like, oh, this place gets fished a lot. I don't want to fish here. I like Elkhorn Creek. I'm thinking, yeah. let's just take the Church's Grove access point on mm -hmm. Elkhorn Creek, which is a public. Probably the most crowded of all the access points. Yeah. I mean, you Consistently. go there and you pull up and you park and you can see someone fishing right there in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. Now you can wait upstream or downstream and find great fishing without mm -hmm. crossing lines with somebody. But if you pull up and there's not somebody in that spot, there's fish there. Yeah. You know, it's not like it, it gets fished out. And mm -hmm. I've only ever seen two people on Elkhorn with a stringer of smallmouth. Yeah. Have you seen many? It's been years, but I have. I, it's I've been years. I mean, I've passed two guys with the stringers of smallmouth before, and, you know, that's if, fine. If they were, they abided by the the, the slot limit, then that's their prerogative. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I'd prefer them not to keep them over 16 inches, but they well, can. Well, those two guys weren't in 2023. I saw zero in 2023. Yeah. I haven't seen It's been years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I those two are probably over the course of the last 10 years. Now, if you're going to eat a stream fish, I think you should eat a rock bass, or if you can catch a spotted bass, they're delicious. But I've, I've eaten string smallmouth. I found them to be, because they're so muscular, they're tough. Mm. Um, I, just, uh, I just don't, I have no desire to, to yeah. eat a smallmouth. I, but the, I have, just rock, to make sure I'm not a hypocrite. But The rock bass, I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I think rock bass are great. I love crappie. I mean, <clears> any of the panfish, the bluegill. I've caught some nice white crappie in North Elkhorn. Well, the thing is, like the, the smallmouth and the largemouth, if I'm hungry, I'll eat them. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. I mean, there were times, Lee, when I was at EKU and I was a broke college student mm -hmm. where I was going fishing for food, yeah. <laughs> you know, Heck yeah, like, I, I, I promise you that there were times where I was going out looking for something I could eat that night for dinner because my little Caesars that I'd been rationing for the past three days. We drive to the Cumberland <laughs> River and throw, throw power bait out in <laughs> worms and Man, bring I them just go to Silver Creek. But what I was getting at there is like the, the bass species, perfectly edible, um, very mild you know it mm -hmm. kind of like a, i had that musky this year i caught a musky i kept it flayed it ate it wanted to try it yeah just so i could check that box kind of like you do with the smallmouth mm -hmm. and uh I, I just thought it didn't have a lot of flavor you know mm -hmm. it's just kind of white flaky fish that it just wasn't wasn't great yeah and that's kind of how i look at the bass you know there's there's better fish swimming around in here that are more plentiful that mm -hmm. i can eat that, yeah. and that's so that's what and i spotted bass are delicious they're the best of the white bass Spotted bass, mm -hmm. yeah, they're delicious, and there's no size limit on spotted no. bass. No, a 12, 13 inch spotted bass, delicious food. I've heard Tim Farmer say that plenty yeah. of times. He likes to go down there. Uh, well, we caught him in Kentucky Lake. Yeah. We'd had a one time we had a plate of yellow perch, a plate of crappie, and a plate of spots. And the yellow perch and the spots went before the crappie. Yeah, no, so. I would like to catch a yellow perch too. But you know, basically getting some of those locations from Jay could help me go and, and do some more of that. But in 2024, I'm gonna plan on exploring at least two new water bodies, two mm -hmm. new streams. And honestly, one of them will probably be the Licking. I would like to hit the Licking tailwaters. That's one of the ones that, uh, Jay got, also for Northeast Licking River tailwater. Okay. He had as one of his excellent ones. Yeah, I've seen and, some uh, good walleye and muskie come from that area, as well as crappie. A lot of crappie get caught down there. Uh, South Fork of Licking for smallmouth. And he also, another fooler is Levisa Fork, above fish trap and below the lake. He says there's excellent blue cats and hybrids, but I've seen pictures of some of their shocking above fish trap lake for smallmouth, especially in early spring. And they will make your, <laughs> if you're a smallmouth angler, they are impressive. I'm trying to figure out right now how to uh, <clears throat> find the press releases. I just looked these up the other day. Well, do you know what the email address that our press releases go out from? Um, it's, it's, well, you can go to our main, just go to our webpage. We and uh, then they, they, we have a scroll news releases. And you can scroll back as far as you want. All right, I'm going to look at that because I wanted to see. And what, ours go out on a, on a, a service called Kentucky.gov. And it? we also put them on, uh, keep going. Up or down? Uh, this up. is great for our listeners. Right there. All news articles. All news articles. So this is on the homepage of the website, mm -hmm. all news articles. And it basically gives me... A yeah, you can go back next. Okay. And they go away. They go back as long as you want to go back. Because I was kind of wanting to look and see what news the department had from the year two, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was going to run through this. I wonder how many there are. Oh, there's uh, quite a few. 
a lot. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Too many. So this is a cool little feature on the website, though. Is, well, one uh, of the things I think is cool is we won our first award for podcasting yeah. <laughs> from the Kentucky Association of Government Finally submitted some, you know. Uh, well, and you all uh, did great at the Association for Conservation Information, which is I have uh, um, I have submitted for those a lot of times, and it's it's a uh, ACI is tough. If you win an award, especially you all won first place, didn't you? Um, in the ACS, yeah, mm -hmm. for. Segment. We got second place for a reoccurring TV program. Yeah. We got beat out by Texas. Well, I mean, you're going <laughs> against um, a state that has the budget for their Fish and Wildlife Agency down there. Well, they're kind of lumped in with parks. I've, I've been to conferences Listen, with those guys. I'm not going to pull any punches, Lee. Here's exactly how it works out. We got we got first for a TV segment, so hunting and fishing segment. We got second for a reoccurring TV program, which is a Kentucky Field episode going up against others. Right? And we got beat out by Texas. Parks and wildlife, okay? And it kind of upsets me, mm -hmm. okay? But one, I'm not saying that their shows that they submitted wasn't better. It probably was in one. So the judges thought it was better. So, and that's how the rules are. The ref blows the whistle, it's a foul. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even if how, you don't think you foul. Yeah, it. that's how it is. But um, Even though yeah. you're a foul twice than the preceding possession. So unlike Texas, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife is... Um, you know, fish and wildlife resources, that's what we do, we're, uh, that's what we focus on. Texas is parks and wildlife, so mm -hmm. it's essentially what our entire tourism cabinet is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, a big umbrella. And their budget, like you said... is It just makes you go you know, punch drunk, it's so huge. Yeah, like they're... they're like they per well, how many, look how many people live in the state of Texas, it's a monster. Yeah, and it's a combination, they get tax dollars. Mm -hmm. So, but... To give you an idea of the budget, the, like they, Texas actually gave a presentation at ACI about an advertising campaign that they were doing to try to get people to this new state park. And their budget for that advertising campaign rivaled our budget for the, the entire broadcast branch for the entire year. Okay, so the money that they were, the money that they were spending on one advertising campaign would be enough to pay for everything we do in mm -hmm. an entire year. Which I'm, is, to, if it tells you, it's apples and oranges, you yes. know what I mean? So if that's who, and also, um, I'm not 100% certain on this, but I'm fairly positive that it was a third party. Yeah, that, that did well, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they is, yeah. too. So it wasn't done in-house. We've got a great set of producers right here sitting mm -hmm. on the other side of this wall behind me. And our, for a while, they were splitting yeah. it out, and you had in-house. Yeah. And then I don't know where, I think it may be NAGC, but, yeah. but for a while, they were saying, hey, if you make your own, then you're in this category, and... Then they kind of had an open category for yeah. make your own and people who buy their stuff from yeah. a third party. So essentially we were beat by an organization with a budget about 20 times the size of ours who paid somebody to do it for them. But, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, it, it was a great production. That I'm happens sure. a lot. So, uh, there, it there happens are, at the state level as well. There are other uh, um, department officials. Like Kentucky is not completely unique in the fact that we have a TV show. Mm -hmm. We are just unique in the fact that we were the first TV show mm -hmm. that we've been doing it the longest. But um, Tennessee has one, mm -hmm. Arkansas has one, oh, Texas, yeah. California, Colorado, uh, and like a bunch of these states have TV shows like Kentucky Field. They just aren't as good. I was going to say, and I don't Kentucky know if they're as popular in the state because uh, the was TV running. show is there's very well loved. Hey, I was hey, yeah, Cody took that picture, and that was a great one. It's catching a smallmouth jumping. That's the day I filmed the uh, segment with Chad. This is as we're running through these press releases. Uh, <laughs> Lee is the cover photo for one of them here. But I'm trying to run through these press releases, but there's a lot. You know, yeah, there all, is. All of them are, are uh, relevant. Like here's one about the uh, Fourth of July and law enforcement and what they're doing on, on the fourth. Here's one about Otter Creek. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, a new permit. It's a permits, yeah. That's Gary Garth fishing there in the winter with Dave. Was South Regional editor for I think Field and Stream and Outdoor Life, and now he's doing stuff nationally for USA Today. Travel stuff. And he's on the cover of this yeah, press release. Yeah, and he was, uh, Dave, Dave Baker, my boss, took that picture, and that's at Otter Creek. I'll be honest with you, Lee. I thought we could run through press releases and no, see what out, happened in the agency. I don't think people realize we put out a lot of stuff. There is a lot of stuff there. And there's is there a way currently set up for people to be able to subscribe for, to news from the agency? Yes, I believe if you send an email, there's a way to subscribe. You can send an email, and then you'll be on our list. Okay. You could probably just search in the search box. Yeah. It's like subscribe. Yeah, there, there's those ways to subscribe, and then we'll send an email blast to your uh, phone or for home or whatever you want. 
So instead of doing the press releases, which are on the website if people would like to look at them, that was yeah, kind of a fail yeah, on that You know, he, uh, I was talking to Lisa Jackson the other day, she goes, we do, we put out a lot. I was like, yeah, we do. We put yeah. out a lot of information. So I'm looking back instead at my photos from the year that was. And as I'm looking back at them, we started off with morel mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was fun. And then moved on to musky and smallmouth mm -hmm. and big crayfish, bottle brush crayfish. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I uh, did some musky fishing with my buddy Bobby. Also went to the Cumberland River and trout fished with my buddy Bobby. Did y'all do any good? Yeah, I love that. I mean, that was probably... What, when was that? When? Mm, I'm, I'm itching to get down there like September, soon. September 17th. I um, just uh, did a Kentucky Field Outdoors column that's went out this week, and uh, this is a hell of a good time to fish the Cumberland River. Especially, right yes, from now till, till, hell, from now till really year-round. But water temperatures don't change but a few degrees yeah what you from need summer to winter with the Cumberland <clears throat> River is all about discharge that's yeah. really what you need to leave I wouldn't worry about the water temperatures or they anything. have been doing one or two turbines for just a little bit and then whew, it's yeah. perfect waiting conditions right now and then from from fishing I pretty much rolled straight into archery deer hunting squirrel hunting taking people gun hunting and bear hunting mm -hmm. so that's all I've done it's been a while since I fished Lee but I, I do people are catching fish right now People are catching good fish, like good hybrids, good musky, big smallmouth. It's smallmouth time of year. I know. I'm kind of just itching to go. Me too. And uh, This is when I wish I had a boat for like two months out of the year and someone else would pay for everything. Isn't that, it, that would isn't, be nice. You know what? It's kind of weird. <laughs> you, you wish you had a boat for December, January, February. Through, through, through December through March. And you know what? The, the thing is, most people <laughs> want a boat for... You know, March to September. Yeah. So there, it seems like there would be a way that we could work out some kind of a rental mm -hmm. program here with all these people who just went around their boats. I know, I've often wondered that, you know, if a marina yeah. would offer, you know, a, a bass boat rental for a day, you know, or have two guys go in on it. And bass boat rentals or just all these people who get zero use out of their boat in the winter months, you know, instead of sticking them in your garage and, and doing nothing with them. Like what if it was like an Airbnb type system mm -hmm. where you, I mean, I could go online right now and I could rent out my spare bedroom. You yeah. know, I could easily just do that. So well, why couldn't you do that with the boat where you rent it out for a month or rent it out for two months? I think it'd be great. That'd be cool. They'd a lot of trust, too. Yeah, no doubt. The insurance companies probably wouldn't. Probably would say no, no. Yeah. But, but hey, it's a good idea. But, you know, Chad brought up a good point one time when I was wanting to get a boat. He said, Lee, I want you to add up how much your boat payment is mm -hmm. and how much gas you burn. If you're going to Cumberland, two-hour drive down, two-hour back from me in Frankfurt, some places two and a half, one way. Um, if you have insurance, and then divide that amount for the year, or and divide how many times you use your boat, add that up for the year, and divide how many times. You'll find out that if, if you only use your boat less than 10 times, you're paying hundreds of dollars for six to eight trips. Yeah. Per yeah. trip. Yeah, that's why you got to use your boat if you get yeah. one, right? Yeah, if you get one, use it. And that's why you got to use it in the winter months instead yeah. of putting it up. It's the best time of year to fish. I yeah. love it. No, it is true. The lakes aren't crowded. You don't got wakeboarders and jet skis no. doing donuts around no, it's you. it's great. Yeah, no, it's, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to look to get out there soon. Yeah, and I'm dying to get down. And I've been dropping hints on my buddies that everybody's got kids and Boy Scouts and all that. I'm like, dude, we got to go down and throw some shiners. There's oh, a smallmouth. Shiners or some swim baits? Yeah. Little swim baits work well. And too. I will be doing your favorite technique, the float and fly sometimes. Yeah, what's well, fun, you know, if it works, it works. I like catching fish, Lee. Yeah, me too. And I'm trying to think like right now, what I want to, I, want, I really want to go hit a stream for muskie. Like if I'm being 100% honest with you, and on, my goal for, do you have any, do you have any outdoors resolutions, Lee? Well, for, yes, I, I was thinking that this morning, um, fish much more. What, do you have a specific? Um, I want to uh, do more lake fishing, and I would like to set a personal best largemouth. Which, uh, would, which so, would be what? Um, my best largemouth is only about a mm, little under six. I had one on, I think, that was in the eight-pound range at Kentucky Lake. Mm -hmm. um, also, I want to set up a rod with an eight-weight and throw topwaters in my kayak mm -hmm. on smaller lakes with a fly rod this year. I want to smack a couple that way. Do you have I want to catch rod? more fish on my fly rod. Do you have an eight-weight rod? Yes. Okay. So your your resolution for 2024 is kind of like mine. My, mm. Mine is fly fishing related. Yeah. But I, I told you on the podcast before that somebody had given me, given me a 10-weight fly reel. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful olive green Reddington 10-weight. Wow. Yeah. Um, Line or just the reel? Just the reel. He handed it to me after I'd... That'd be great for hybrids and stuff. Like if you ever wanted to go down to yeah. go for hybrids, a 10-weight would give a... 
I don't have a 10 weight rod, but this this fellow, he's a really nice guy. His name's Alan out of Shelby County. And some people probably know him. He's, he's a big uh, upland hunter. He also deer and turkey hunts and fly fishes. But he um, he saw the photos of the muskie I was posting in the spring on the... All that, yeah. Muskie on the fly yeah, rod? Yeah. And so he said, here, do it with this. And he basically handed me a, a 10 weight fly reel and put a, gave me a challenge, you know. And I just got that fly reel in my hands on Christmas Eve. I've he had given it to my mother to give to me, and I just saw my mom, and she gave it to me. You know, a great venue where I've bought my stuff is Sierra Trading Post. I'm not, we don't really want to, but there's several places that are kind of close-out discount places where, yeah. you know, you, you don't need, if you're going for musky, you don't need it to be dainty, throwing dry flies. You need something with some beef that'll hoist a heavy yeah. fly out there. So, so my next step is going to be to getting a rod that'll work for it, <clears throat> getting the the backing and the float line and the tippet mm -hmm. and getting a musky fly or two. Um, I did, when I went musky fishing last spring with my buddy Bobby, I took my kayak and he took his canoe. He has one of those red canoes, just like mm -hmm. you always see. And he uh, he stands up and fishes out of it, which is a little more, you know, he's yeah. more coordinated than I am. <laughs> You'd he, hear, oh, yeah, I was trying to fly cast and yeah, stand in a canoe. Fly cast and stand. It would last, the, the second false cast, I'd be wet. No, it's a Bobby. <laughs> I, I feel like he missed his calling as a gymnast or something because with balance, like, I could never do it. If no. I try to stand up in a canoe. <laughs> no, that'd be over me. You know, that's why I, I have I, stood up in a canoe and then I got wet. Yeah, it lasted about a second. <laughs> but so I remember, though, I was sitting there and my kayak was pushed up against the bank and I was standing in it. So I was literally in two inches of water. <clears throat> Bobby was out in front of me and he came through and he said, oh, I got to follow. And I looked over and he was he was stripping this fly and he had this monster muskie. I mean, it was sitting wow. six. In, I mean, it was probably a 50. It was a big, big fish. And it was sitting just six inches behind that fly. And every time he'd strip it, that muskie would come up a little bit and lunge at it. And But it never did bite. So I know it's possible, but essentially my goal for 2024 is going to be to catch a muskie on a fly rod. And, uh, you know, how that'll look for me, I'm not really sure because, like, I'm thinking I don't necessarily want to wear my arm out throwing a muskie mm -hmm. fly all day. So, but that's what the muskie fly guys do. So I guess I should just toughen up and do it. But at the same time, I feel like I could search for fish with my conventional tackle. I could throw my bait caster and a spinner bait and look for fish. And if I get a follow or if I see a fish move, which is what you do when you're musky fishing, you mm -hmm. know, you're at, you're looking for them almost like you're hunting. But if I see a fish or I know which area fish is in, break out the fly rod, try to catch them. Well, one of the things that I've noticed when throwing big bulky stuff like you'll be throwing, mm -hmm. and I've gotten into, uh, I've got a seven weight that I use for small mouse when I'm throwing heavier stuff. People false, they watch TV or they, don't false cast so much. Three Four tops, especially if you're throwing heavy stuff. I bring it up once, once again, it's gone. I'm yeah. shooting that line. So you're trying not to work it too no, much. No, you don't want to, especially heavy flies, because they'll drop, you snap them off, it's a mess. Yeah. Get them up. If you get that forward momentum going, hard stop, let that line fly through there, because you've got a big, fat lure that's going to get out, a fly that's going to get out. Carry a lot of momentum. Well, now those people throwing the little teeny weeny dry flies on three and four weights, they're the ones you need to false cast a little more because you're trying to move something really light, especially if it's windy. But that's the biggest mistake people make is they false cast too much. Really with a lighter fly, lighter bait, you're you're using the, you're casting the line. It's yeah. the weight of the line that you're casting. But you're saying with a musky bait, you got enough weight out there on the end of it to, to mm -hmm. sling it. Yeah, yeah, just... just let it hard stop, let that line shoot, pull a lot off. Yep. You know, like, hey, go have some around your feet, pull a lot off, one, two, gone. And I've heard that when I'm doing you, much better since I did that. I've heard that when you uh, set the hook on a on a big rod like that, like on a fish, like a muskie, you don't want to jerk set it, you strip set it. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually lift the rod and do a hook set at all with mm -hmm. the rod, you just yank the line mm -hmm. and keep the rod pointed at the fish pretty much. Yeah. And that's how you set the hook. And then my only concern with, like my, my only, my biggest concern with catching a muskie on a fly rod is from that moment on. Like it's mm -hmm. not the getting the follow, getting the bite, getting the hook in them. It's okay, now I've got the fastest freshwater fish in the world. Well, you've got a nice Reddington reel, so you're going to have a disc drag. It has a disc drag, but I'm still going to have line piled up in my feet to but, start. But just let, let you know. Um, Jerry McDaniel is the world he has the All Tackle IGFA, International Game Fish Association, or not All Tackle. He's got the 12-pound line tippet, world record uh, striper that yeah. he caught in the Cumberland River. I've been I've been able to be on the boat with him a few times, and um, 
he is so so smart about the way that that um, he does things and he said lee i never ever use the dry or you know i let if there's a um, some people think that you set the hook and you immediately crank in as much line as you can to get the fish on what they call on the reel as quickly as you yeah. can. Jerry didn't believe that at all. He said, I only let the fish get on the reel if it does it on its own. Now, muskie's probably going to pull all that line that you have at your feet. It's going to pull it out. Take like two seconds. Yeah. Then, then you have <laughs> him on the reel, which yeah. is where you want a big fish. Yeah. yeah. So but, it's just about having that drag set right beforehand and then get, keeping enough pressure on that line, letting it slide through your hands. You don't want them just having slack line. No. Because he'll hit that reel. on the reel, too. If it's pulling too much, just put it in the palm. That your palm will slow it down a little bit. I'm gonna have to just get used to it. Maybe I should go warm up on a hybrid or two. Yeah, although hybrids pull pretty dang. Oh my god, that'd be a, down there where we yeah. were at on the yeah. lower dam. That'd be a ball. I've caught one on a fly rod, probably about two and a half pounds, three pounds, and that was the toughest fighting fish I've caught on a fly rod to this point in my life. You know, a three think, pound hybrid. I think pound for pound, they might be the toughest fighting fish there is. They are. The muskie is the apex predator of our waterways you know it's the fastest freshwater fish in the world it's pretty much an ambush predator it lies under a log or under a branch and just sits there and when something swims in front of them they know well i'm so much faster than you that you have no chance and then <laughs> they lunge out there it's almost like a jaguar or a cheetah it's a burst of speed mm. you know what i mean it's a quick burst and when they open up that big mouth they've got it's like a, a vacuum pressure it just sucks everything into it i mean they really are just an amazing fish and uh i think one of the reasons that they're hard to catch is because they i mean they're sitting in an all-you-can-eat buffet all the time mm -hmm. i mean i don't think a muskie being as physically superior as it is really wants for too much food on a yeah. kentucky stream when yeah. there's rock bass and and small suckers and, and spotted yeah. bass suckers red horse i mean sunfish i mean the, the muskie can pretty much eat whenever it wants to eat you know yeah. So I think that you're enticing them a different way. I think that's why those big, annoying, flashy baits work is because you're just taking them off. Yeah. You're throwing something obnoxious in there, and they're like, well, don't you know? Large mouths do that, too. Yeah, they're like, don't you know this is my spot? And they <laughs> bite it. And I don't think they're biting it to because they're, they're hungry. I think they're biting it because they're the dominant. They're protecting their turf. Yeah. That's just my theory. But I think that's why musky fishing's fun. It's because it's kind of like whitetail deer hunting. And most fish, you're sitting in a stand and you're waiting for something to walk by, right? But with a muskie, I feel like you're you're trying to tick them off, trying to mm -hmm. make them come in here to you. And something about the visual aspect of it, how you can see the fish, you might get a follow, you might get a figure eight, but they don't actually bite. You know, it's like, oh, that was a close call. Mm -hmm. There just aren't that many fish that you can say, man, that was close, mm -hmm. you know, close to getting a bite. Because typically if you're close to getting a bite with a smallmouth on Del Hollow or Cumberland, you never knew that fish was there. I know. It was just nose down looking at your well, lure. If you're fishing, yeah, 20 feet of water, you're never going to know. Yeah. You know? People with a live scope might be able to to make it work a little bit. They might know that fish was looking right there. But, you know, if you're bottom fishing Cumberland or Dale, I don't really know how many people are live scoping those fish. Mm -hmm. I feel like live scope's more for structure and stuff. Yeah. I, and, I mean, yeah, really, how are you going to live scope a fish if you're on the surface and that fish is 25 feet deep. Yeah, I bet it, you people can do it. Yeah, there's, or down, yeah, I'm sure there's a way. But. Some people are getting so good with that live scope. That's, I mean, some of the technology stuff is almost something we could wrap into the year-end podcast mm -hmm. because it's been a topic all year. We've talked about it quite a bit. Yeah, and live, the, the ethics involved. You the know. ethics, um, you know, we got live scopes and cell cameras. I mean, there's all this hot topic I think stuff. we're just going to make a much smarter fish. going to be tougher to catch. Down uh, with the live scope? Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's a debate you hear people say all the time. I've never fished with a live scope. And then certain people who probably said that five years ago are now fishing with a live scope, you mm -hmm. know. So there's, a, there's well, a lot changing. And some of that is economic pressure. I mean, my God, a day at Dale, even if you don't have a boat or if you want to go to Cumberland and fish all day, you're, you're going to be outlaying some pretty significant cash. Yeah, you could be. And if you have a boat and you have limited time, you want to make the best of your time, I can understand the pressure to do that. That's why I can, I suggest people try wet legging and kayak fishing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a blast. Yeah. And I mean, I... And you can bring a vest of lures and have everything you need for the entire day. Yeah. Well... So my, my goals this year are more fly fishing and largemouth fishing, which I've kind of gotten away from the last couple of years. I'm, I miss catching big, fat largemouths. It's yeah. fun. I guess my, my only hard goal, like the one that's like, okay, this I is I want the an 18-inch or better on a fly rod for smallmouths. Yeah. I have not done that yet. I need a muskie on a fly, I think. And that's pretty much the one. If I do that, then I will say, you know what? I accomplished what I wanted to this year. But at the same time, I know that <clears throat> I'm going to try my, you know, I'm going to try my hardest to get a bear. And I'm going to, I don't know what my hunting situation is going to look like next year. You know, there's development and stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to try my best to get 
a good deer, you know, with my bow. So, so I'm going to have other goals and other things I'm going to need to accomplish to feel good about myself. But I think that the one thing that would be new for me, like the new thing coming up would be the muskie on a fly rod. Yeah. So that's where I'm at, Lee. Me too, brother. And then I also kicked around ideas like, I wonder if there's anything we need to do with a podcast hmm. differently. Like I'd, I'd almost be interested in hearing what the listeners had to say. Mm -hmm. Like if they wanted to shoot us a message or an email. One thing I'd like to do more in the field, but they're kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah, but. we could do more in the field, especially. I mean, we've recently. The sound that it's audio wise, it's great. I wonder if these folks, like right now, they're sitting there playing. There's the chainsaws. I wonder if they're getting the sounds of the office today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being right here on the uh, edge of a runway with the hardest working grounds crew. In the state. No doubt. Yeah. No, but it's a, <laughs> but I, I wondered if people, I, w I would like to do more out in the field too. It's, it's tough. You know, I don't know if people understand <clears throat> when you're doing a podcast, you need to be, excuse me, <clears throat> when you're doing a podcast, you need to be constantly talking mm -hmm. and it's not as easy as you'd think to constantly talk while fishing. While trying not to fall. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> on you know, a slick stream bottom. When you're sitting there trying to do a podcast and you're talking back and forth with one another and then all of a sudden you get snagged in a tree, mm -hmm. well, now you're snagged in a tree. <laughs> what do you do? You're going to hear, yeah. snap. Oh, hold on Then a you're going to hear uh, maybe a few oaths, as yeah. the old time people used to say. <clears throat> so more in the field would be good. I also wonder if people would like a um, <clears throat> to make it a consistent thing where we do the Q&As before every one. Let them know who the guest is going to be mm -hmm. a day out and mm -hmm. open up Facebook or Instagram questions and just give them a chance to interact more. I think yeah, it'd be a good I, idea. I, I think that could be something that would be good. I've kicked around the idea of, of doing a video podcast and publishing it to YouTube mm -hmm. um, after the fact, you know, so we'd be on SoundCloud or you could watch the podcast on YouTube. <clears throat> that takes, you know, a little bit more on our, our end too. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are just some things, but, and then of course topics. I love it when people reach out and give us feedback on, on podcast and, you know, a couple of people do that fairly consistently. Yeah, that, and I've never heard like, well, it sucks. I've heard great stuff. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, that is interesting. I feel like usually you you get the vocal minority and it's usually the negative, but you're uh, right. You're right. All I've really, I mean, everybody who says something nice typically has a suggestion too. Mm -hmm. You know, I love what you guys do, but the, you know, this. The biggest thing is here. We'd like to hear, have it once a week, yeah. but with our schedules, that's difficult. Well, you know, if people out there in the year end, you just heard me and Lee talk about some of our favorite episodes and things we learned and kind mm -hmm. of what our goals are for next year. But if you have suggestions for us or things you'd want to hear about, let us know because honestly, like the feedback from the listeners is the most important feedback that I get. Like I can hear our supervisor, Nathan mm -hmm. Brooks, tell me that a podcast was, was good or that we should have done this a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But I'll be honest with you, oh, Nathan's going to listen to this. What he says to me matters. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. But really what the listeners say, that's the input that, I'll, that, yeah. I'm, that I'm craving, you know. Mm -hmm. So reach out. My email is chase.winegar, W-I-N-I-N-G-E-R at ky.gov. You can let us know. Or you can send us Kentucky Field a message on Facebook and we'll get it. Or Lee McClellan, you can mm -hmm. look him up. His mm -hmm. email's plastered all over the website mm -hmm. because of uh, the articles and things that, that Lee's written. Mm -hmm. so. And, I, you know, I get a lot of uh, emails from people, and almost all of them are positive. And one of the things we didn't mention is the Wildlife Society invited Chase and I to come and give a presentation yes. on podcasting. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was on Sunday morning. We had to be there at 645. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After one of my coworkers got married. but yeah. uh, And Chase was kind enough to bring me a big coffee of extra caffeine, big coffee, yeah, was, which came in handy. It was uh, my favorite coffee for you, waterfowl hunters, deer hunters, coyote hunters, people who get up early. If you're looking for a gas station coffee, Thornton's Sunrise Breakfast Blend. It has the highest caffeine <laughs> that you can get. Which is good yeah, no, when it's 4 a.m. No, but the, the Thornton's Sunrise Breakfast Blend is a light roast, and it's got the highest caffeine, and you can feel it. And that is the coffee that it you It saved want. me that morning. Yeah, oh yeah. But yeah. I mean, and I think it was a big success. Yeah, I thought I enjoyed going and talking with the Wildlife Society. Some the cast of characters that we gave that presentation to was pretty diverse. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, there was a, a few people in there from wildlife organizations that I had never interacted with before. Me either. Um, and guy from Nebraska, we're having a problem with this. We're, you know, people interacting with us, the problems they've had with launching a podcast yeah, and getting and it started. Like there was one specific guy from Michigan, I believe. And mm -hmm. he, he was worked for a, a conservation organization. And he wanted to talk about wild pigs and educate people about pigs. Mm -hmm. And he was looking to potentially do a podcast or use a podcast to do that. And he, he I thought, um, you know, was on the right track. His ideas and everything seemed spot mm -hmm. on. And I think he had a clear vision. So I would almost be interested in circling back with him because he was just talking about kicking it off. But we also had some people in there for uh, 
If I remember right, one of the conservation organizations was... And, and the girl from Georgia who does pig work too, remember? Yeah. She does the drones, <laughs> oh, yeah. the drone surveillance of pigs in Georgia. These people, the, the ones I'm thinking of, the one that kind of caught me off guard were folks for um, like birth control for wildlife. Mm -hmm. Do you remember those folks? Mm -hmm. And that one kind of caught me off guard. I personally like the conservation method that we currently have, which is no the North, North American conservation model. It's something we brought up multiple times on this podcast where it's um, sportsman and woman funded conservation, mm -hmm. you know, full circle. You know, I, I love how it works. So me too. But the the wildlife society was fun. You're right. We did win an award. Um, we kind of looked back at the year that there was and ran through who we had on and what we and talked about. Chase looked up some of our numbers and compared to some of our neighbor states. We our podcast is very well liked and highly listened to, and we appreciate it. Yeah, but that, that's that's the listeners. You know, I feel mm -hmm. like we got to thank them for that and uh, for listening to us over the past year. I mean, those those numbers next to the podcast, those are those people deciding to mm -hmm. click on it, and that's that's kind of the point of asking for their feedback. Is I, I kind of look at the listeners. Like, sure, we could get on here and we could put this podcast out, but it would mean absolutely nothing if nobody listened to it. Mm -hmm. And luckily, we have a solid group of two, 3,000 people who like to listen to every episode, right? Mm -hmm. And those people are the ones who drive the podcast. And we balloon sometimes up several thousand more than that. Yeah, we'd just be wasting our time if we came in here every day and talked and, and nobody listened. 300 so, people listen. Yeah, so, good. so they're the ones who, but that's why I want their feedback. So if, if they think that... They would like the, the opportunity to know who the guest is going to be the day before the podcast and ask a question to that guest. Like, that could, that could be good. You know, we could do that. Let us know. Or, you know, we, we've kicked around the idea of doing all of our Kentucky Field television question and answer shows. We have, you know, three or four a year. We have biologists on and we field questions. Just making those a podcast. Would you like to? We've done that a few times. Yeah. And those are available on YouTube and other places right now, too. So I've thought, let's keep the podcast channel clean mm -hmm. if those are already available but you know if people wanted that we could we could look at that please tell us yeah let us know what you think and we appreciate you guys being there with us for uh, 2023 mm -hmm. and uh you know what lee's goal is in 2024 he said he wants to catch an eight pound largemouth on his fly rod if, <laughs> if i remember right well i'd like to catch a bigger largemouth and i want to catch an 18 inch smallmouth on my fly rod there you go you know i haven't done that yet so well let's get and I've to caught, it i've caught Bunch of trout over 20 inches on the fly rod, but not not a small man. And my, my specific goal for the year is going to be catching a muskie on the fly rod. And, Lee, I know a place we could potentially go catch an 18-plus smallmouth and a muskie on the I, fly uh, Well, we have to do it. <laughs> that'd be a good one. I, I think know, that'd be a great podcast. I know if we could just pull over every once in a while, do a little podcast, uh, catch a fish, do a little podcast. I'd get this camera wet if we did that. Well, we can, we can kick it around. I think so. Lee, let's go uh, celebrate the new year. We'll get your derby picks in 2024. We'll get updates. <laughs> well, I hope I do better. <laughs> I hope you do hey, I, I've killed them on Friday of Breeders' Cup this year, so that, was, <laughs> that made me happy. All right. Well, I'm going to call it quits, Lee. I appreciate it. Okay. Everybody have a great new year.